Hey, everybody, Amanda here to introduce this special preview of Head Hard Gut, which is the new exclusive podcast only for multi crew members that Multitude makes. Now, to refresh your memory, the multi crew is our membership program. We are revamping and refreshing and adding more benefits and bringing more people into the fold here in 2020 by adding a new tier and some new stuff to our existing tiers. Now, as you remember, like Multitude is an independent collection of people betting on each other. We want to keep making podcasts for you, keep introducing new shows, keep doing live events in our studio and our office, and your support helps us do that. Instead of getting outside investors or selling parts of our company for cash, we are deciding to ask you to be our investors. And by joining the multi-crew, you can become part of this great, amazing, quirky listener engine that fuels multitude. So at our new $5 a month tier, you get access to Head Heart Gut. So your RSS feed will include this friendly debate show where there's no right answer, just the best answer, which you're going to be hearing very shortly. And the RSS feed also includes unreleased audio. So that's stuff like live show recordings, pilots, and other audio extras that you will not hear anywhere else. At our $10 a month tier, you get the RSS feed, a special street team sticker pack, access to a multitude Finsta. That's a private multitude Instagram for a fellow old who did not know what a Finsta was until recently, which all the hosts have access to. So it's going to be a wild ride uh, with stories from all over the country, from wherever all of us live. And also an exclusive bi-weekly newsletter with photos from the studio, sneak peeks of upcoming content, and at least one dog photo guaranteed in every dang issue. And there are higher tiers too. At $20 a month, you get live streams and voting rights on what Multitude does next. And at $50 a month, you are an absolute legend. You are enshrined on our founder's wall. That's a physical plaque in our physical office as soon as you walk in, where we have the names of all of our legend level $50 supporters. And free tickets to all of our live shows, along with physical stuff like signed posters and other exclusive merch that we are only going to be making for these multi-crew legend tier god level members. There are also, I should say, discounts if you sign up for an annual subscription. So you can get two free months on any of these tiers if you decide to sign up upfront. So please check out multicrew.club for more information and to sign up today. And if you're already a multi-crew member, thank you. We love you. You can just stay at the tier you signed up at and you don't have to change anything. All you're going to get is cool new benefits for all of our existing members. So now we want to give you a preview of Head, Heart, Gut to see what you could be getting every dang week from Multitude. So this is usually a weekly show, but we cut together four weeks of Head, Heart, Gut into one full round as we debate and then find a judgment on what exactly is the best member of the Harry Potter crew, Harry, Ron, or Hermione. The first three episodes have each contestant arguing for their choice. And then the final ep is a formal debate with special judge Mike Schubert to decide once and for all, in head, heart, gut anyway, who is the best Harry Potter trio member. So you have all three Spirits hosts, me, Julia, and Eric Schneider, as the contestants. So each of us argues for a different trio member. And then Mike comes in with the judgment. So it's a really fun episode. I'm so glad we get to share this with all of you. And if you enjoy it, please consider going to multicrew.club to sign up. And for just five bucks a month, you get this new weekly show from Multitude featuring all of our hosts, guest judges, Eric Schneider's great editing, which if you listen to Spirits, you know you love, and all kinds of very low stakes but high energy debates where we figure out which of our friends is right. So now enjoy Head Heart Gut. Friends, Romans, Chosen Ones, Quidditch Bros, Muggleborns, lend me your ears. This is Head Heart Gut, the friendly debate show where there's no right answer, just the best answer. Every month we take an iconic set of three items from pop culture or the world we live in and pit them against each other. First, each of our contestants will present their choice, answering the questions on our definitive survey of greatness. At the end of each episode, other contestants will score them based on their head, heart, and gut. 
and will ultimately decide a winner of these three survey rounds. In week four, we turn up the heat, where a special guest judge will lay down a ruling in a formal, structured debate. I'm Julie Schifini, and I'm joined by my fellow contestants Amanda McLaughlin, arguing on the behalf of Hermione Granger, Eric Schneider, arguing on the behalf of Ron Weasley, and I'll be arguing on the behalf of Harry Potter as the best Harry Potter squad member. Let's get it going. So to introduce y'all to Harry Potter, the boy you already know. What? Who's this who? man? Who, huh? who is this character? <laughs> uh, maybe. I was more of an Artemis Fowl child. Wow. Okay. Sure. Whatever. To introduce you to Harry Potter, I'm going to start with a headline, which introduces my subject with a headline as if from a front page story. And so mine is, child forced to go through hero's journey. Turns out okay. 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 Mm. Here for it. Pretty like classic, you know. You, I feel like that's an onion article more than anything, but you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> it is okay kind of it. an onion article, which maybe is what we should change headline to in the future. Yes. Not a bad idea. I do like that, but also like I mean, hey, you got you got to go with a true headline or don't. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I like it. Uh, next is the trading card. So this is taking the place of our stats section. This is what would be on the back of your subject's trading card. It can be a baseball card, Yu-Gi-Oh card, Pokemon card, whatever card you want. I'm going to say this is a, uh, a chocolate frog card because, you know, mm. sticking stick to the Harry Potter theme. So Harry Potter, born July 31st, 1980, born in Godric's Hollow. He's a half-blood, though he comes from the Potter family, which is typically considered full blood and one of the sacred 28. His wand is 11 inches holly and his phoenix feather, and his patronus is the stag. Another fun fact about Harry Potter, he is mentioned 18,956 times in the books compared to Ron, who is mentioned 6,464 oh, no. times, and Hermione, <laughs> who is mentioned 5,486 times. Sexism. Sexism. Sure, that's one way to describe Ringing it. Ringing the bell. Uh, we're next going to move on to Harry's three best qualities. What makes him unique and how does he stand out? So Harry Potter is an excellent teacher. So one of the things we learn about him in the entire plot line of the Order and the Phoenix is that Harry is charismatic. He's able to get people to rally behind him as he creates this illegal revolution. He is also a skilled teacher. He's able to help his fellow students uh, through support and education to the point where they're able to learn spells that they were not able to master outside of DA meetings. So Neville finally learning how to use the Expelliarmus spell. Uh, multiple members are able to produce a fully formed Patronus by the end of the like DA sessions uh, and that's Juliet. and that's no and that is established by the section in the OWLs where the professor is very impressed by this I don't doubt that they did much better under Harry's tutelage than they did in class but wouldn't you concede that that's generally because most of their teachers were like endangering them and, and like kind of abusive so I would argue no all three members of the squad, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, are able to learn the Expelliarmus spell by second year. Neville does not know how to do it by fifth year. So Fair. he failed to, you know, be able to produce the spell as a student. But once he's learning under Harry's tutelage, he's able to do it. 
Now, I feel like you might say that, like, someone who was maybe, like, born and raised as a wizard might be really the best teacher to, to, to <laughs> teach all of these kids in DA. Or maybe the one that is most, the, the book studious of the of the squad would be the best teacher at, at DA. But, I mean, it may, maybe it's Harry. Maybe it is Harry. Hey, here's the thing. Would all of the DA people have joined the DA or even gone to the meeting to join the DA if Harry wasn't involved? No. Several of those not people bad, several of those fair. people just showed up because they're like, we want to hear Harry's story about how Cedric died. And he's like, this sucks. I don't want to talk about it. But I'm going to tell you because I am charismatic and I want to gain your trust manipulative also i think that it's bullshit that harry became a wizard cop instead of the defense against the dark arts professor anyway total same total same okay yeah, that's fair uh so harry's also a sassy bitch so <laughs> yeah i'm gonna just like hit some highlights for me so upon finding out that hermione granger intended to take 12 owls he asked her if she was planning to eat or sleep at all that year <laughs> When threatened by Draco and his cronies after the Battle of the Department of Mysteries, Harry remarked that he supposed that, quote, Lord Voldemort's just a warm-up act compared to you three, huh? And then he Malfoy threatens that he was going to be dead because of what he did to his father. And Harry casually replied, funny, you'd think I have stopped walking around. Got him. Listen, uh, Harry knows knows how to make a comeback. I'm I'm definitely gonna grant it to him. But he is also anti-knowledge, and that is is evidenced, I believe, by his first comment, making fun of Hermione for, I don't know, ambition and diligence. He just worried about his friend, and he's just being sassy and making her consider, hey, maybe this isn't the healthiest choice for you. Also, I would like to remind you of perhaps the greatest Harry Potter quote, where it is, yes, and Snape replies, yes, sir. And he's like, there's no need to call me sir, professor. I mean, that is number. That is the best Harry Potter quote. There's also a great one where Dudley is threatening to give Harry swirlies. And he's like, oh, we should go upstairs and practice shoving heads down toilets. And then Harry says that a toilet has never seen something as disgusting as Dudley's head down it and then runs away. Got him. Yeah. My third thing is Harry is relatable. So here's a direct quote from J.K. Rowling on why Harry is an excellent role model for readers. So I see Harry as someone who is struggling to do the right thing who is not without faults, who acts impetuously as you would expect for someone his age to act, but who is ultimately a very loyal person and a very, very courageous person. So in as much as he has qualities that I admire most, I would say that he's a good role model. That doesn't mean he is, that doesn't mean he is saintly, but then frankly, who is? But I think that you do see enough of Harry's inner life, the workings of his mind in the book, to know that he is ultimately human, struggling to do the right thing, which I think is admirable. And I agree with J.K. Rowling. I will also say that at one point, he's put under the imperious curse by fake Mad-Eye Moody, and he's able to throw it off because he realized, I'm too happy right now. This can't be real. And then he's able to fight it off, which like, mood harry i don't happiness does not compute exactly he was like no happiness that seems fake i don't know this can't be right so those are my those are my top three best qualities of harry potter now julia are you not going to acknowledge his his canonical hotness this might be because mostly i engage with uh, harry potter via fanfic these days but harry just hot like that's just that's just number one quality for most but i think like all of the trio are attractive in their own ways I say as a useless bisexual. (laughs) Next up is a new segment, which is Fight Club. So this is how would our subject beat the other subjects in a street fight? I have a very like broad statement here. So I'm going to argue both in the sense that Harry could win 
in a magic fight and also in a street fight. I was wondering how we were all going to do this mm-hmm. one. I was wondering who was going to use magic and who wasn't. The answer is both. Okay. Oh, so um, Harry is one of the few non-dark wizards who is able to be proficient in the dark arts at various levels. So he's able to cast simple dark charms like the uh, leg locker curse, the full body curse, reductor, pimple jinx, knockback jinx, revulsion jinx. But he also is seen using much more powerful spells like the blasting curse. But he's also able to flawlessly cast the jinxes, hexes, and curses Curses that are not just taught in classes, but also taught in the Half-Blood Prince's copy of the advanced potion making. So stuff like Sectum Sempra, he's able to do the first time he tries it. Now by able, you mean willing to read out a mystery curse that endangers the life of a peer. Yes. It's a street fight. What do you want from Look, me? Look, one of, one of her three best qualities of Harry Potter was not good judgment. No. <laughs> he is impetuous, as we established in the, the three best qualities of him. Harry is also one of the few of the trio that has used two out of the three unforgivable curses. So, oh, oh okay. I'm, not, I'm glad you I'm brought that arguing, up, Julia. I'm not arguing it's a good thing. I'm saying he is powerful in using dark magic. So we should not forgive <laughs> Harry Potter twice. Yes. Just in case you're tempted to forgive him. No, Schneider, a second time. To counteract that, Harry Potter is the only wizard to this day who has had all... To counteract that, he did cast two of the forgivable curses. No. (laughs) (laughs) Harry Potter is the only wizard to this day that has had all three unforgivable curses cast on him and survived. Oh. That sucks. That's a bad deal. And if we're just talking about fists or muggle dueling, as they call it in the books, Harry's pretty (laughs) adept at that. So one, from being bullied for so many years by Dudley and his much bigger friends, Harry is now a scrappy boy. Harry can, like, you know, put up some fists. And two, because he was actually raised as a muggle, whereas, like, Ron is more likely to turn to magic, you know, because Ron, you know, grew up with siblings who are always trying to cast spells on him shit. And then Hermione, we only see really get physically confrontational with a character once. And it's the sucker punch to Draco in the third book, which is like, eh, it's a sucker punch, whatever. He wasn't expecting it. Excuse me? The Harry is mentioned as getting into several fistfights and physical brawls throughout the series. Okay. Likes violence. Also, he's a big jock. He's He got muscles from flying, even though we can't establish whether or not one needs muscles in order to play Quidditch. I mean, you definitely have to hold on tight with those legs. Mm, okay, okay. I do wonder, like, what the, like, the athletic ability of, like, Quidditch players is. Because, like, what the, like, does being quick on a broom have any actual, like, physical attributes? Obviously, like, if you're a bit lighter, I guess that would help. But also, like... You like could be like Bowser and Mario Kart and like a heavy a heavy set guy on a on a broom has like low acceleration but high top speed. Here's the thing, I would say that like a seeker doesn't have to have particularly good like muscle mass or anything like that. But if you look at like the skill set needed to be a chaser, a beater, or a keeper, you need to have like pretty solid upper body strength. I was going to add that it is similar in my mind to riding a horse as well, where like, yes, the horse is doing, you know, a a lot of work, but your body also has to do a lot of work to keep you um, on the horse and also working with and not against the horse. So like posting, which is like moving up and down as the horse trots, whatever. So I I think there is a lot of gripping the broom and and like aerodynamicism, shifting your weight. That's what I assume. I rode a horse for the first time last summer and it is surprisingly physical yeah. like i was i mean i wasn't like well this will be a walk in the park but it is it is rough muscles in your body hurt that you don't know you have all right we're gonna move on to harry's tinder profile and i think harry's tinder profile would probably be like particularly jockey so i wrote gryffindor seeker seeking his perfect golden snitch 
Oh no! Boo. Oh no! Whatever, it's fine. Would you boo. want me to go the no, chosen one I mean, this is one a segment path? that is designed to be booed because they're Tinder profiles. I feel like you know he wouldn't go down the chosen one path because then you have to like. Harry Potter wouldn't go down. No. That's what I heard. That's not what I said. <laughs> Very anti-feminist Harry Potter. I think Harry Potter should definitely lose points for that. No, no, no. I think that Harry, like, you know, he, he's not one to kind of dwell in the fame of his, you know, name and status. So I think that he definitely wouldn't put, like, Chosen One or something in his Tinder profile. He would just be like... You wouldn't, you wouldn't say Harry Potter would put, Why, won't you be my Chosen One? No, I hate that. <laughs> I hate it so much. That would definitely be like in a in a fake Tinder profile that Rita Skeeter finds and like thinks that she's scooping, but she actually just invented it. That would absolutely be the one that she would write for him. Yes, that's that's true and fair. Okay, we're going to move on next to the Nicolas Cage factor. Your subject needs to stand up to the white hot crucible that is the interaction with Oscar winner and chaotic god Nicolas Cage. So how would you put Nicolas Cage in the mix? So... This is always like the hardest section for me, and I don't know why. I think we can all agree that the cursed child is trash and not canon as far as any of us are concerned. No. I have no opinion. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to suggest instead a better sequel to the Harry Potter books. Okay. Harry Potter is an horror. Again, I disagree with this choice in profession. He should have been defense against the dark arts teacher because the curse was broken when D Voldemort died. So there's no reason he shouldn't be. Anyway, in this, he is an horror. Uh, something hinky's going on with like international wizarding affairs or something. So the United States sends in their top guy to help out with things. And it's a uh, Nick Cage. It's not even like a character. It's just Nick Cage playing himself. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Cage, the wizard. Uh, and then he helps out the Ministry of Magic with an international magical incident like uh, the Men in Black movie that I didn't see with Thor and Valkyrie. Mm. I was thinking Kingsman 2, The Golden Circle. That's also a good option, but like that's the opposite. Both films in which a British and an American person team up in their respective organizations. Or Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. And now my final fun fact about Harry Potter. Harry usually has the last line in every Harry Potter film. And as we know, last word, last laugh, best character. She ends it with 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 a with a with a end headline, mm -hmm. a bottom line, yes, if you will. A bottom line. Bottom line is, you did great, Julie. Good job. Oh, thanks, bud. You did great, but now me and Amanda must judge how great you specifically did do. Thank you. Yes. You, we will be judging you now with our head, our heart, and our gut. Amanda, where would you like to start? Um, I think Julia gave us a lot to go on in terms of head. We have a lot of reasons why why Harry is valuable. Didn't need to go over the whole, like, saves the wizarding world. Okay, yes, we all know that. So I, I think that Julia had a very, like, optimistic and, and also um, rounded view of his character. So I'm, I'm happy giving full marks for Head. Full, a full five. Nice. What do you think? I mean, I I, th I think she did. I think she did very good. But I'm just, like, Head, I think we have established that is it's very hard to give five. So far, the only five has been given when Mike did legitimate math. I I'm willing I'm willing to go four point five. Okay. But full but f because I do I do fully agree that she did a a really good job of of not like just giving us the stuff that everybody knows about Harry mm -hmm. Potter. But I feel like you really for head you really have to give us some like above and beyond. And she did she did great undeniably. 
But did she go above and beyond? It's an A, I'm but not, not I'm an not A+. Plus. I didn't calculate the body mass one needs in order to fly on a broom for like the perfect speed or something like that. Yes, exactly. You did you did great. You did great. But but 4.5 still still very good. This is still I'm very, very excited about the 4.5. Head is usually my worst section. So, for heart, I feel like she did a good job, but I feel like there is a lot of emotional stuff in in Harry's life that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the death of his parents and all the other sad shit that happens to him. His relationship with Dumbledore. I don't know if Dumbledore was mentioned once. The, uh, yeah. Dumbledore's army in passing. But uh, Harry's story is much more than Dumbledore and his manipulative nature. It is much It is much more than that. But it is an important part of it. And it's an important part of his heart. I didn't want to talk about how he like his family died. He was abused. He was manipulated by the one person he trusted in his life. I didn't really want to dwell on the sad shit. I understand, but I think that is an important driving force of Harry's character. I I think that Julia presented us with like the the grown together version of Harry that he grows into, but the book is about the journey. And that's why I was so excited by your opening line about the hero's journey, about your headline. Um, So I I think that I will go with a three here. Schneider, how does that land for you? I will perfectly agree with a three. Sorry, Julia. (laughs) The the game makes me judge my friends. Mm, All right. Where do we land with gut? Man, gut's the hardest one for me to judge. How do you how do you define this, Schneider? What is your like decision making rubric? I think it's just for me, it's uh it's a culmination of everything that was said. Do I feel differently about the player's choice after their argument? Am I am I genuinely convinced that they might have picked a better thing than 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 myself? And I, I, I'm obviously no. My thing is the best. <laughs> sure, of that's course. the whole point of the situation. But is but but do I do do I question myself during it? That's how I view it. Okay. So where are you coming out here? And I I feel like I I definitely thought about Harry Potter in ways that I hadn't because of that, but not in a way that I was like, oh, Harry Potter definitely is better than Ron. So I'm gonna say a three point five or a four. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I think it's hard to to deny that the titular character of the Harry Potter universe is not in the running for the best character. Julia pointed out some of the highs, but I I just there's so much about Harry that I think anyone could do in this kind of structure, but I'm okay with the four. I think Julia did an admirable job, um, didn't have me quaking in my boots, but you know, brought with good conviction why Harry is her choice. All right. Well, I I am happy with a four. I feel like all of my all of my uh, points here are reversed from what I usually get in at Harkut, which I'm into. It does, seem, it does seem that way. I do feel like you are kind of right that they are kind of swapped on this one. But Julia, your score remains, I think, from the last time you argued at 11.5. Yo, yo, yo. Which I think was your score at the end of the season season. Hell so, yeah. Congratulations, a, a very admirable score. Sorry about the one three, but okay. but you know I'll that's that, that's how the that's how it breaks. I'll just have to bring the passion when we get to the judging round. So next week, I'll be arguing for a real keeper, Jesus. Ron Weasley. <laughs> boo. <laughs> boo 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 boo. Mr. Yellow, 
you have such a knack for choosing the remnant, and I cannot wait to see what you argue for Ron. Well, okay, to be fair, Eric also chose Captain America, which I believe is like the Harry Potter of the Avengers. I did, I but here's the thing. I also picked, the, I was the third one to pick. As as producer of the show, when I am arguing, I always pick last. Mm-hmm. As I feel like it is my right, not my right, as I feel like it is my duty since I, I, I give everybody else their, their research. So I know not everything that some people are going to say, but I do present them with a, 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 a good set of facts. So I feel like I have to handicap myself, which is why I've never won. <laughs> That's debatable, that's but okay. That's that's that is not that's not the case. I also said, as a Hufflepuff, I'll take the leftovers. Fair. Which in this case was Ron Weasley. <laughs> but let's get to our headline for Ron Weasley. I will introduce my subject with a headline, like from a front page story. Ron Weasley, not the hero, not the smartest, simply the best. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a bold statement to make. No qualifiers there. No, just language meaning whatever we needed to mean. Sure, I guess. language means nothing. I'm just saying. No, I'm saying. I'm saying one character, Harry Potter, is is the the hero of the story. Another character, Hermione Granger, clearly the smartest of the three of our characters. We'll be debating, but Rod goes above and beyond those things. He doesn't need to be the hero. He doesn't need to be the smartest. He's just the best. As I go through our survey of greatness, I will prove that he's the best. Mm, Okay. I am bringing an open mind and an empty stomach. Oh, wait, no, that's the wrong show. Ready. (laughs) Now I will be doing our newest segment, trading card. What is on the back of your subject's trading card? That could be a baseball card, a Pokemon card, or Yu-Gi-Oh card, or whatever. For my card, it's just your standard Quidditch player card, all your facts about Ron's Quidditch career, kind of like, like you would. It says Ron Weasley. He's uh six feet tall, 155 pounds. That's way too skinny. That's so no, skinny. So, so skinny. I don't know. It's so small though. Sticking bones, that boy. Ron's wand is for. I feel like uh, I feel like on Quidditch cards, even though you don't use your wand in Quidditch, they still like tell everybody about their wand. He's got a 14 inch long wand that is made of willow and has the core of a unicorn hair. He has three. First place finish in the Hogwarts Wizarding Cup tournament, Quidditch tournament, whatever they call it. <laughs> the I don't remember what they officially Quidditch call it. Tournament. The House Quidditch tournament. Three first place finishes and two second place finishes. Pretty, pretty good. And he plays the position of keeper. Not gonna, That's not it. gonna talk uh, about uh, just his his shitty start to his career. No, not at all. Ron had some interesting free agent issues come up. <laughs> that I don't think are necessary to get into on his trading card. You don't get a trading card from a player that's like, and here's some drama about them. I wish you did. That'd be so interesting. That would make maybe trading cards better, but that's not the state of trading cards currently. Okay. I really wish there was a nickname because like the basketball player Robert Williams, his should be the Time Lord for sleeping through practice because that's just a real Ron Weasley move. I'll be moving on to Ron's three <laughs> best qualities. What makes him unique and how does he stand out? My first quality is that Ron would do anything for his friends. And I think this is shown very early on in book one. 
when they are going through the dungeon, they're going through all these weird trials because, you know, it's an early kids book. So let's just throw trial after trial in front of these children to get to the end game. They have to play wizard chess. And Ron, knowing how to play wizard chess, sacrifices himself to the wizard chessboard as like a piece in order to let Harry and Hermione to move forward and eventually kill Quarrel so that they release that bit of uh, Voldemort's soul. So like Ron knowing these people for like only a year is like, I will save these other children because it is important. You remember how... In the fourth book, Ron just didn't talk to Harry for a bit because he thought he's put his name in the Goblet of Fire without telling him. Good friend. Also, hey, remember when he left them in the woods during the seventh book? He did book? do that. He did do that. I will be getting to the left in the woods bit, mm-hmm. but I will say teenagers fight. Like you can't like have like some teenagers like not have like a little like spat while they're growing up, especially like at a boarding school. They live together. They spend all their time together. Sure. Like you're going to have some times where you don't get along with your friends. That doesn't mean that like it's not like it's not like Ron found one small thing about Harry and never spoke to him again. He didn't speak to him for a few weeks or a few months. Like, hey, it happened. A few months is a long time. I'm not saying it's not a long time. I'm just saying like people have little fights and they got through it and they're better for it. My second quality of Ron is that he is a good wizard. And this displays itself in lots of ways. First off, he kind of took Harry and Hermione under his wig. Did he? And <laughs> this one's this one's a this one's a bit of a stretch. I'm gonna need to read the receipts here, Schneider. He knew a lot about wizarding, and like you you don't like get like these like Bits where like Ron's like, yeah, no, 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 explaining and like teaching them all of these like, elaborate spells or anything. But Ron clearly knows the wizarding world. And that's displayed in what I just said about wizarding chess. See, I would argue, though, that like Ron did not choose or or he wasn't self-aware enough about his knowledge to to tell them things they need to know in advance. He was just like, oh, yeah, no, that's a wizard thing. Usually it would be Harry and Hermione being like, I don't know what that is. He's like, you've never heard of blah, 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 blah. And then explain it. Even if your guide is a bit of a doof, having a helpful guide that teaches you about the new wizarding world that you have been thrust upon because of weird wizard DNA that you didn't know you had. I'm not saying Hermione and Harry would not have been great wizards without Ron. I'm saying they are greater wizards because of Ron. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Say what you will. I would also argue that Hermione comes in much more knowledgeable about Hogwarts than Ron does. Despite the fact that Ron has, what, five other siblings that came before him that went to that school. And remember how Ron didn't know healing spells? Ron, what are you doing? I mean, Ron, did, Ron ha- but that's but that's to do with like Ron's whole, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fall for this okay, trap. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to fall for this trap. My final quality of Ron has to do exactly with what Julia said when he left them in the woods. Now, If you remember, Ron did not leave them in the woods of his own volition. Ron was under the influence of a horcrux of Voldemort. Is this your best quality? (laughs) Being under the influence of a horcrux? No, no, no. But once he was out of range of the horcrux, he realized his mistake. And he, he fought hard to eventually get back to them and then saved Harry's life. Because Harry's like drowning in some weird pool of water and then there's like a bunch of weird visions of Harry and Hermione that are like making out kind of Bogartish 
to like make Ron very scared, but Ron still manages to get the Sword of Gryffindor and destroy the locket. So that I think shows Ron's ability to right his wrongs when when they do occur, but also like be be realized what 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 is happening and how he can how he can improve going forward. Ron's always on a journey of improvement. He doesn't think that he's like the best at any point, but he knows that he can improve. And I feel like that's a great sign of that. He gets out of this dark influence and then he goes back. And I think that that's that's a that's a big step and a big a big boon in in Ron's favor. It's re- I find that really interesting because I think that like one of my biggest criticisms of Ron has always been his like Feelings of inadequacy are what drive him forward. And I actually really like the way that you framed it differently in that Ron always sees like another step he can move forward rather than Ron feels inadequate to his friends and loved ones and like all the accomplishments that his siblings have done. Yeah, I feel personally uh, attacked because I too am driven by feelings of inadequacy, but I have not yet framed them as ways in which I can improve. Mm hmm. Well, as long as you don't get near any six of evil people's souls, I think you'll be fine. Yeah, I'll do my best. Fair. There are six of us here in Multitude. Ooh. Ooh. Happy Halloween. <laughs> well, there, well, there was five other people, though. And also, none of our souls have been split and put into evil Not objects. That you know of. True. Now I'll be moving on to another new segment, Fight Club. How does your subject beat the others in a street fight? Lanky. <laughs> wide reach a literal twingspan i think if ron hermione and harry get into a fight just like (laughs) on the on the grounds of like they're hanging out at hogwarts they're in like the 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 quad here's what happens hermione plays dirty immediately goes for some kind of hex or curse or 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 thing like that with, with magic bold throwing her off the throwing her under the bus I think it happens. I think I'm just saying we're in a street fight and I and sometimes in a street fight you play dirty and I think if anyone's going to play dirty it's going to be Hermione. Hermione is the one that cast the uh the Petrificus Totalis on Neville at the end of the first book, right? I have no idea. Yes. I I'm correct. <laughs> <laughs> Only proves my point, I think. Then yes, I guess I agree. I'm not sure what that spell does. I'm not sure. It's the like full body binding one and he falls on his yeah, face. Yeah. See? See, then thank you for providing evidence for my case, You're welcome, Julia. bud. So that happens. Ron, with his very like natural flick of the wrist that we see in, in the films, where Ron is like the most natural like magic caster. Like yes. he's always like just kind of flinging spells, whereas like the other two of them always like aim their wand before casting. I think he like casts that aside. He, that's how he takes care of Hermione. Then him and Harry just go at it brawl style. And Ron just has the height advantage and also has older brothers. And I think older brothers are are tough to probably be with. I don't know from experience. But unlike Harry, who had to deal with like bullies, you're not like bullies are just going to be mean and beat you up. You're not going to like get in some trading with your bullies. Whereas like, I bet like Fred and George and Charlie and all of them let Ron like rough them up a little bit. So I think Ron has a bit more fight experience because of the older brother factor. So I think he takes care of Hermione after she plays a bit dirty with some spell casting. And then I think he uh, goes after Harry in a, in a physical wrestling type bout and, and takes him out due to size advantage 
and brotherly love. Uh, I want you to tell me, please, what Ron's wrestling finisher would be. Ron's wrestling finisher is uh, a DDT. Of course Because it it's the first thing that came to mind. Great. Awesome. Love it. Here is Ron's Tinder profile. Oh, oh, baby. It says, Ron Weasley, six foot tall. Because if you're over six feet tall, you have to put that you're over six feet tall on your Tinder profile. That's the law. I, I hear that's correct. Then it says, quit it season, greater than sign, sweater weather. <laughs> and then it says, save the world four times so far. Is this his fourth year that he's doing this in? What? Yeah, this is this is in year five. Okay. But this, this is happening. Uh, also, all of the pictures are badly cropped group shots that he is in. Yep. You yep. see yep. Ha Harry's arm. So it's arm. like him clearly with an arm around someone, clearly like a really pixelated zoom in of like him and on like a Quidditch team group shot. I think it's like he's all, it's always like, there's no like solo pictures of Ron. And like, because he is a wizard and has no idea how cell phones work, he has not figured out how to take a selfie also, it's the 90s, so selfies aren't a thing. But Tinder's not a thing. We're in a magical universe and had heart cuts. So, like, you know. <laughs> also, there's magic. But he definitely doesn't know how to take a good selfie. So he's always just cropping people out of group shots. I'm kind of blown away how embarrassingly accurate this is. Right? I'm real. This is the one I'm most proud of. It's I was very like, good. This is very, this is exactly wrong. This is extremely good. I'm into it. Any shirtless pics? Maybe, but maybe it's like cropped in poorly. It's just his torso. <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, th I think mostly are they're gonna be like him in the robes, like with like a cropped out Harry or like the group shot of the of the Quidditch team. Awesome, yeah. I love it. We rarely see any characters with their shirts off in in Harry Potter. I think only only when they like go to like unlock that egg and Cedric in times. that locker room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is that is the one scene. Oliver Wood being hot for only a few years before he aged out of Hogwarts. We're going to bring it back to reality with the Nicholas Oh, Cage. yes. <laughs> the most real of all things. Your subject needs to stand up to the white hot crucible that is an interaction with Oscar Witter and chaotic god Nicholas Cage. How does Nick Cage get in the mix? Here's my strategy for the Nick Cage factor every time. I write down a one-sentence prompt for myself, and then I have to figure out what that means live on air. Okay. Because I feel like you have to be as chaotic as Nick Cage in the Nick Cage segment to like to get in that headspace. So here's what I wrote down this morning before wrapping up my research. <laughs> I, I hate this. I hate this so much. Nick Cage is Ron's new dad. What? No, you can't replace <laughs> Arthur Weasley. He's so Are you good. killing him off? Now, now, I, now here's, now I realize that this sounds like I've killed Arthur Weasley and Nick Cage is now married Molly. I Weasley. hate that. That's not what I'm I suggesting. I hate that so much. I realize that's what it sounds like. I'm not going that chaotic. What I think this means is that we, we imagine the Harry Potter movies were not filmed at all. We're doing an HBO miniseries instead this is a whole new casting of everything. Nick Cage is playing Arthur Weasley. Mm -mm. Who better to explore the world of muggle inventions than the most confused sounding man alive, <laughs> Nicholas Cage? No. There's no, a there's car. no like calm. Ta Harry, Harry, tell me about how automobiles work. <laughs> Trams, if you will. He's not excitable enough. 
I know. Like, even even him in National Treasure, like, he is a little bit nerdy, but he's also, like, supposed to be smoking hot. And all the better for Molly. Now she's got a smoking hot husband in Nicolas Cage. I hate this. I hate I this imagery so much. Is he dyeing his hair red? Yeah, I think he's got a really bad, bad wig, wig bad just wig. like in uh, oh, no. Do- just like Dolph Lundgren does in the Aquaman movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, correct. Just like buck wildly bad. Here is a fun fact to go out on about Ron. This is a very random fact that I found, and I don't know where it's discussed in in Uh-oh. the books, or maybe if it's just like one of those weird things J.K. Rowling added Uh-oh. later on, like Pottermore. Ron's favorite sandwich type is bacon. And his least favorite is corned beef. <laughs> That's it. Uh, oh, Just like, no. here's their sandwich preferences. I don't know where that when that comes up. Julia seems like she might know. I know where the corned beef one comes from. And it's when he first meets Harry on the train going to Hogwarts. And he pulls out these like lumpy sandwiches that his mom made for the trip. And he's like... No, I got a sandwich. I don't need any sweets from the cart. And Harry's like, I will buy you all the sweets, you perfect child. <laughs> and is he like, oh, corned beef? Yeah, he's like, oh, corned beef again. She knows I hate that one. Oh, Ron. Also, I'm so glad we're past the days of pocket sandwiches. That was just like fully a thing. Fully a thing. Yeah, we made it through like 10 years of it. And then we didn't have to worry about it anymore. And it was great. I mean, lunchboxes are just a wonderful invention. I never had a pocket sandwich. I don't really know what you're talking about with pocket sandwiches. In like the the 50s and 60s before brown bags became a thing, you would just like uh, take a sandwich in a pocket. Like maybe in okay, wax Okay, I thought paper. you were saying like like in the period that they were in. I was like, I was oh, alive no, no, in the no. 90s and I do not remember <laughs> pocket sandwiches. Yeah. We as a issue. society have, yes. have gotcha, graduated gotcha. beyond pocket sandwiches. Mm. So that concludes all of my information about Simply the Best, Ron Weasley. <laughs> Julia. Yeah. We are now going to judge Eric on his argument based on our head, heart, and gut, giving him a score out of five for each category. I'm going to just throw out there that I feel like we didn't learn a lot about Ron. I I appreciate a lot of things about Schneider's argument, but uh, I do not think that facts are one of them, and I'm going to propose a three here. I will agree with the three. I might potentially be persuaded to bump it up to a 3.5 if only because i still have the picture of very very skinny ron weasley stuck in my head at 155 pounds <laughs> slender man ron can we revisit can we can we put a pin in it and come okay. back at the end of the other two yeah is that allowed what do we think about heart i might go full marks here because it's clear that schneider cares he wants us to care too and i i do respect maybe 4.5 I don't think I'm like, you know, throwing down all my notes to to switch over to the Ron side, but it's clear that Schneider cares. It's clear that Ron stands for something. What do you think? I would go 4.5 as well. I think that when it comes retribution, to, I think when it comes to Ron, um, I was very impressed by the way that Schneider kind of uh, took what I consider his poorer attributes and like reframed them as positives. And uh, I think that it takes a lot of heart in order to do that. I agree. I think it takes five heart. Mm, no, 4.5. <laughs> Let's do 4.5. And finally, with gut. Um, I, I agree. I'm quite persuaded by how much Schneider cares and how he makes me see some aspects of Ron in a new light, which at this point, you know, 20 years deep into a fandom, I think is, is impressive. Um, but I am 
not at all convinced that, that Ron is the best member of the trio. Yeah, I would say 3.5. <laughs> I think, again, the, the persuasiveness of portraying his negatives in a positive light did bump it up to a, a 0.5 for me, but I'm still, it's still Ron. I will say, since I'm technically no longer arguing, I, I did the slightest bit of research. Uh-oh. Even though that is not allowed during arguments. We are post-arguments, so I'm allowing myself as the person who makes the show to, to, to make this decision. According to the the HarryPotterFandom.com site, which is where we got a lot of our research from, Ron does in fact weigh 152 pounds. I actually oh, no. added three pounds to him. It's worse, worse. now. So just, so just so you know, that was I did not misquote. That was in fact the correct very close, at least, oh the correct God. number. I knew it was in the 150 it's range. Extremely I fucked. guess 55. It was actually 52. So I just want to. I just want to say, since this is the least important of any of the arguments I made, and it was just a stat I gave. It's extremely fucked up. 152. So, so I think I think that means I get that extra point five. What do you say, editor Eric? Uh, in the interest of uh, ranking, which is the point of the show, Julia, I move that we leave it at three, mm-hmm. which would bring Eric Ooh. to a total of eleven. Ranked okay. just oh. under you. Okay. You know what? That's great. I mean, I think that's pretty strong, all things considered, that I'm going again, up against, just so far, the boy who lived. If I'm only If Ron's only 0.5 points behind Harry Potter in a, the book series called Harry Potter, not, not too bad. Okay. Not too bad. Not bad at all. Well, thank you so much for bringing this argument to us. And uh, wait for next week, though, when I will be arguing for every nerd's true hero. Hermione Granger. Uh, folks, we're here, of course, to venerate Hermione. And I'm going to start you out. I thought we were here with- to debate. <laughs> Well, you are here to do. Well, that. at the end of it, we'll see. We'll see. I am here to introduce Hermione with a headline from like a front page story about her, of which there have and will be many. Um, and it's just Hermione Granger: colon, MVP. <laughs> okay, that's all you have to know. It's just Hermione. Without her, the Dark Lord would definitely rule us all like many times over. She's fierce. She's smart. She's the best. And we're gonna get into why. Interesting, since Ron, in fact, was the MVP of the Quidditch team, mm-hmm. I presume, at one point, nope. one season. Nope, well, not at maybe. all, actually. I regret to inform you um, that, as in life, Quidditch doesn't mean anything. <laughs> sports mean nothing. Speaking of sports, though, we move on to a trading card. So, like, what would be on the back of my subject's trading card? And also, what kind of trading card would it be? I am going to make Hermione a canonical part of a very special trading card game I had as a kid. It's the president's trading card game. I hate you. And what is this? This is a real thing I had. Um, and on the back doubt it. of Hermione's card, on the front we see a, a, a regal, wonderful portrait of her in, in robes, maybe a couple cats around her looking out at the at the wizarding photographer. Um, and on the back, Hermione Granger, 5'5 five, five in her stocking feet, 5'8 in her getting shit done boots. And her description reads, first muggle-born minister of magic, war hero, scholar, diplomat. That's Hermione, y'all. Can you give me more information about the 
Yes, President sorry. trading card game? I'm too distracted well, by that. I don't know if it was really a trading card game because there's kind of a limited number. Oh, but you mean it was a flashcards? Right. Flashcards no, are what you're describing here. It, they weren't for study. They were just like nice cards with a portrait of the president on one side and stats about them on the back. Okay. Like years. Did they come in packs? Did you no, have to collect it? No, it was a deck. It was a deck. It was a deck that came. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess it's just a very slow trading card game where every four or eight years, except that one very special year when FDR came back for a third go round, you just get a <laughs> new one. The third edition. You know, a lot of first edition Pokemon cards. There was one third edition <laughs> president card. Well, I also like that you keep using the word game, even though there's no <laughs> game. There's nothing. And also, and also, if you get all of them at once, there's no reason to trade. The game is memorization, and and the point is winning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy that Hermione got one of these. That transitions me very well into the three best qualities of Hermione. What makes her unique? How does she stand out? And the first one is is diligence. So if Hermione doesn't know something, she will find out. If she does something badly, she will improve. This may make her a little bit stubborn, but she is the person you need around to get the job done. It also explains why she hates breaking rules. Some here may, in their slander, make fun of her law-abiding nature, especially early in the books. But I would argue that she is just trying to perform her job, which in that case was student of magic, as diligently as possible. Secondly, Hermione is definitely loyal. So she is not reckless and headstrong in the same way that Ron and Harry are, but she is still a Gryffindor for a reason. She'll go to the ends of the earth for people she loves, or even people she is kind of meh about, but who belong to the Hogwarts or greater wizarding or just human community. She erased her parents' memories and sent them to Australia, recall, obviously a great personal cost, in order to protect them from war. This is a loyal person who will go to the ends of the earth or Australia to protect the people she loves. Australia is on the edges of the earth. I'm surprised, Amanda, that you only kept it among the, the human community when we know that uh, Hermione has strong feelings about other species of uh, intelligence. Julia, you're incredibly right. And that transitions me into bravery. Because Hermione goes where no other wizard or child has gone before. Now, this starts with small space. things like like breathing. <laughs> Hermione, in space. <laughs> uh, I won't be surprised. Um, but she doesn't mind trying breathing new and dangerous spells like Polyjuice and the Protein Charm, which made those Dumbledore's Army coins. Um, she goes after what she wants, whether that's the ability to you know, go into the restricted section of the library or fighting on behalf of a, of a, you know, subjugated in some arguments species, which are the house elves. She is straight up like hero brave, hero courageous. She sought Quirrell. She fought Devil's Ivy in the Sorcerer's Stone. She pursued the Basilisk in Chamber of Secrets. She solves all of Harry's challenges for him in Goblet of Fire, some would say, and captured Rita Skeeter in a jar and also did the absolutely breathtaking task of changing her image in front of her peers. That is bravery. She also stands up for herself in front of her friends, which is maybe the bravest of all. At least it was to me as a, a nerdy and uh, somewhat solitary kid. She said that Ron has, quote, the emotional range of a teaspoon when he was incredibly insensitive in front of her, which, uh, Julia, I would argue is definitely the best line in all of the books. Mm. It's, a, it's an Ooh. excellent one. Um, I do like the part when she, uh, she, you know, panics while she's fighting the devil's snare, not devil's ivy, Amanda. Oh, yes, but thank you. What, what was the context in which he captures Rita Skeeter in, in a jar? I, I remember she... she polymorphs her into something but like no. why does she like Rita is an unregistered animagus 
And so right. Hermione yes. finds this out because there's headlines happening about things happening inside Hogwarts that no one could have said except for the people who were there. So she captures her and kind of extorts her into not writing about Harry anymore. I think that's a pretty questionable questionable moment. But but, but I feel like that and her erasing her parents' memory without their, their permission to protect them are both... I don't know. I would say morally ambiguous at best decisions that Hermione makes. Yeah, they're not great. I think that Hermione decides for herself what is right and wrong. So she is not like a a law-abiding sheep just kind of doing whatever society tells her. She is a transgressor. Like she is muggle-born and she faces discrimination over that. Um, And she comes into the wizarding world saying like, I am going to get everything I can out of the society. I'm going to try to give back. I'm going to read and research and be a diligent student and help others with their homework and then papers. Um, But she also wants to do things for a reason. And so I would say that deciding for herself what is necessary and trusting her own gut to make those calls when other people either haven't made them before or can't make them for her is something that I really admire. Mm. Okay. I mean, I, I agree with the vast majority of Hermione's moves, but the, but the, the parents, the parents would always, always rang very, very cruel to me. Like her parents know she's a wizard. She could explain it a bit before like sneaking into the house and then erasing their memories. Yeah, no, Hermione does some fucked up shit, but we'll talk about that during the debate round. She's more of a uh, uh, neutral good character than a lawful good I, character. I would almost argue she shifts throughout the series from lawful good to chaotic good. Some of her decisions that mm. she makes are like really question, like morally questionable. Well, I think that we're here arguing for the best member of the trio, right? And we sure are. As as wonderful in their own ways as Ron and Harry are, I'm basically like arguing for Hermione on two axes. One is utility. If you're drafting people to be in your trio, like the wizarding world would be fucked without Hermione, period. And I'm going to get into a little bit more specifically why, but I think that's very, very useful. And secondly, just qu- kind of like strength of character as it intersects with like uh, pragmatism. Like she goes for what she wants, but she's also aware of like the systems that she's navigating. She wants to, you know, preserve some amount of like social currency and being able to operate in the world while still doing what she thinks has to be done. Whereas Harry would kind of like burn everything to the ground in order to do what he thinks is right. So I I think that that is valuable and that mix of kind of idealism and pragmatism makes for a really like wonderful, unique and inspiring individual. Hmm. But more to the point, how would Hermione beat Ron and Harry in a fight? (laughs) So I think she would just be like, oh, no, guys, we can't. Wham! So Hermione will will play the part of peacekeeper. She's self-aware. She knows that people think that she's a wet blanket sometimes. And so then she will just like smack him with a very heavy book. Um, her, you know, Schneider's point, I don't think she'd fight dirty necessarily, but I think she is willing to use. I mean, I think what you just described was fighting dirty. <laughs> um, she's winning the fight, period. <laughs> Um, so I think that, yeah, between the heavy books and just kind of like generally holding her own in terms of scrappiness, um, when it comes to magic, which I don't think would be her first instinct, but she would use, she's the only one of the trio who can reliably cast spells wordlessly. And it is also apparently she's the only one who knows healing magic. So it would be good to have her standing at the end of the day so she could, you know, patch up the others. Um, she is also unlike the Death Eaters, apparently, uh, the only one observant enough to know that Harry uses the same spell every time. So I think it is inarguable that Hermione observes Ron and Harry 
closer than either of them observe her. And I think she strategically would understand the the way that the fight is likely to go. She also observes the two of them fighting way more than they've observed her fighting. So I just think that she would, you know, she would have kind of the upper hand in terms of strategy and has definitely thought about this before because every woman has had to think, how would I physically get out of the situation if I had to? Okay. Okay. I, I, I feel like I have some arguments, but I do want to save them for the debate round. <laughs> Real bad. Fair enough. So let's move then to Hermione's Tinder profile. What does her dating profile look like? I'm hoping this one is the least cringy out of the three of them. That's my hope. Well, Julia, her dating profile begins serious inquiries only. Yes. (laughs) Which Gryffindor proud muggle-born. That's the whole thing. Beautiful. If you object to any of those, you're out of here. All right, good. Um, uh, Eric, I also said that her profile picture would be like a very skinny and long full body shot cropped out of a group photo because I think that Hermione knows that it's important to be uh, transparent and wants to have like a straightforward, like full body photo, um, to begin her dating profile. And then there are some more artsy ones like reading by a fire, you know, maybe like tutoring someone in the background, trying to like push a camera out of the way, you know, funnily, like she wants to project some personality, um, and, and really likes that the candidates kind of capture something about her that she doesn't know that she could um, like willingly portray if she was like sitting down for a photo. Who did Hermione go to in order to get advice on her dating profile? Because I'm sure she wrote the description herself, but I think she probably got advice for the pictures and I would like to know who she got advice from. Yeah. Um, I feel like if Lavender Brown had patched things up, if they'd, if they'd kind of, you know, had the, the past be passed, that would be a really good choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also there's a world where she goes to like Pansy. Pansy fucks. And I Pansy feel like Hermione, fuck. if she's a question about sex, would definitely go to Pansy. Pansy definitely fucks. I would have thought uh, Ginny would have given good advice because Ginny has much more dating experience than Hermione does for like a majority of the series. Yeah. I am assuming, though, that, you know, per canon, like Hermione would be going to Ginny for advice about Ron. So maybe she would avoid that whole situation. Sure, sure, sure. I must say, though, that uh, Hermione and Ginny are one of the more compelling uh, like trio with others ships that I have seen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We move on now to the Nicolas Cage factor. How would Nick Cage get in the mix? Oh, boy. And Schneider, as I was showering this morning, I also just had one sentence come to me unbidden, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, just go from there. I'm gonna freestyle. Nick Cage is definitely a squib. Okay. So, like, how else, like, how else in the world would somebody that like worldly and mysterious become an action movie hero? He, he's like, he's like a, like a, a Kennedy. Uh, illegitimate child who ends up doing something absolutely wild outside of politics but could definitely have been a politician. So my, my point is like he definitely ends up at the same party as Hermione one day and she's the only one there who knows him as anything other than like so-and-so's son who lives in Muggle America and I think that's completely charming and a very good beginning for some kind of other like buddy, um, you know, noir, like detective solving, murdery, mystery type thing. All right, I'm into that. I can I can fuck with that. Yeah. I like that. And finally, I expected more uh, more pushback, to be no, honest. But no. um, <laughs> That's actually the tamest uh, Nick Cage thing I think we've gotten so far. Well, our final fun fact here is that the sorting hat took four minutes to decide what house Hermione would belong in. Can you imagine kids waiting for four minutes for anything? Like, that's like a full lap around the track growing up. She's uh, canonically a hat stall, right? 
What does that mean? So canonically, there are things called hat stalls where the uh, sorting hat literally cannot decide what house to put them in. And so asks them, what house do you want to be in? And then Hermione was like strictly between Ravenclaw and Gryffindor. And she decided on Gryffindor. My understanding was not that she decided on Gryffindor, but that the sorting hat ultimately decided upon Gryffindor. I'm not going to die on that hill, but... That is what my research said okay. <laughs> that the hat ultimately chose. But I, I think, Julia, that we're getting at the same point here, which is like, you know, these are children's books, right? Yes. But we we also appreciate complexity here at Multitude. And I love that Hermione contains worlds. She is brave and loyal, smart and diligent, a true Griffin Claw like myself. Very good. I'm into it. And, and her house choice also brings out the like the unexpected in her. It brings out like her her secondary characteristics because you look at Hermione, you think bookish Ravenclaw period but she is instead like the hat sees something within her that it wants to encourage and Hermione gets to you know grow into herself not along the path that everyone thinks she's going to take but using some of those more like unruly impulses within her that she might want to tamp down and instead understand that this is a valuable part of me and that I feel is just incredibly inspiring and you know it's it's a different kind of bravery to someone like Harry who is born not knowing who he is, but knowing like what he stands for and always just follows his gut. Hermione needs to decide a little more. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, I like it. All right. I'm not completely convinced, but you have uh, you've made some solid arguments, madam. Thank you. Julia, we must now rate Amanda's argument for Hermione Granger with our heads, our hearts, and our guts. Let's talk about the head. Okay. Logically, how do you feel about, about this argument? Um... You know, for a Hermione argument, I don't feel as though it was particularly head heavy. I, I agree. I also feel like Hermione has a, a big list of boons. I, so I feel like I'm trying, like I said in, in, in your episode to Amanda, how I feel about the, the gut. It's about have I been swayed from my choice to another choice? And I feel like Hermione is in a lot of ways the, 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 the obvious pick. Mm-hmm. So so I'm so I ha- so in this case I have to stamp that down mm-hmm. and like think like was was what is presented just the the truest of all of all the cases. I feel like it was. I feel like I didn't I didn't like learn a ton about Hermione, but I feel like that's because we all know so much about Hermione. Right. We all know so much about Harry Potter, which makes it really yes. difficult to get the head section across. Yes. So I feel like I feel like I would go a, f- a four. Okay. For for for. Head. I think I could I can back you up on that. Yeah. I'll take it. How do you feel about heart? I feel as though Amanda did put a lot of heart into it. Yes. Yes. I I, I agree. I would say four point five if I had. Yeah, to. I feel like Amanda, as a nerdy girl growing up herself, identifies a lot with mm-hmm. Hermione Granger. Mm-hmm. Probably did while reading the books. I feel like that that clearly showed. In, in her argument. So I, w- I will happily go uh, 4.5 as okay. well. And I then... got a Hermione doll for my uh, for Christmas when I was eight. Uh, still in the box. Uh, flips hair. Yes, don't worry about it. And I will put a picture on the Multitude Instagram uh, this week. Now see, that fact, that fact during the argument might have gotten it up to a 5 Yeah. Quarter. Gosh, man. Guys, Get I it. didn't want to harp too much on the fact that I'm obviously Hermione and Hermione <laughs> is obviously me. Mm-hmm. And seeing her like make friends and deal with conflict and stand up for herself is like Legit therapeutic. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go for the 4.5 on this. How do we feel about gut? Um. So 
Okay, uh, a little uh, parting the curtain a bit. Amanda and I were going back and forth over who would get Hermione and who would get Harry in this, uh, the final thing. Uh, and I, I think, did we, did it end up I yielded Hermione to you or I insisted upon giving Hermione to you, Amanda? I believe that you said it makes more sense for Amanda to do yes. Hermione okay. was, was the general word. Yes. In that sense, I, you know, I already feel very strongly about Hermione and I, I can't say I was like completely convinced like, ah, yes, Hermione is definitely the one only because I, I am very much kind of, I'm not going to say I'm in that boat already, but... Uh, I could I could be swayed in that direction already. Uh, however, I don't know. I, uh, three point five four maybe. What do you think? I think I think four. Okay. I feel like Amanda gave that. This is not a negative. I want to be very clear. Uh, the argument I expected for Hermione, and I feel like it was it was a strong argument, and I think that should be awarded properly. So I I think four is is the place to go. Thank okay. you. All right. So that brings you what to twelve point five. That brings her to a twelve point five, which might be the record. It's either twelve or twelve point five. So congratulations to both Amanda and Hermione Granger for either tying or or beating the the head heart gut scoring. Wow. Round. All right. Hermione job, is Hermione. privately devastated not to have gotten a fifteen. But uh, publicly, we'll be like, oh, you know, it was just, it was really tough, guys. Yeah. Unfortunately for Amanda, we do not have a time turner. So she cannot go back to improve <laughs> those those smallest bits of her argument to, to make it perfect. But <laughs> Well, I sure will for the judgment, buddy. Just to All wait. Right. Sure, sure, sure. And that is next week on Head Heart Gut. Welcome to the Judgment episode of Head, Heart, Gut, the friendly debate show where there is no right answer, just the best answer. Over the last three episodes, our contestants have argued about which Harry Potter trio member is best, Ron Weasley, Harry Potter, or Hermione Granger. Through our rigorous point system, we concluded that Hermione Granger is the best. Oh, wow. What a shocker. It was close. But we have another chance to prove ourselves in front of our judge Michael Schubert, host of the best Harry Potter podcast this side of the Mississippi <laughs> Potterless. We will give our opening statements, argue how our choice hits the rhetorical triangle, logos or our head, pathos or our heart, and ethos or our gut, and then get a chance to answer cross-examination questions. But first, let's hear from Judge Schubert. Hello, it is I, Mike Schubert, once a Harry Potter noob and now a Harry Potter expert. Uh, I do have real credentials I can put to my name now, though, because I host officially the most popular Harry Potter podcast. Yay! <laughs> so I am here Ooh. to judge the squad. I do appreciate that it was called the squad debate. Uh, my my lingo for the trio has now seeped into r beyond Potterless, which makes me very happy. It's true. But yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, how are you all feeling going into this judge thing? I'm hyped. I'm ready to lay down the law. I'm always excited for Harry Potter. I'm probably the most worried <laughs> as Harry has the whole chosen thing and Hermione has the whole being real smart thing. Mm -hmm. And Ron's there too. Ron also is there. I think I've got 
the the most off the wall strategy that has ever been presented <laughs> in Head Heart Gun. I don't know. Do you, I do really you remember Brandon to win this? To win this, I'm ready. So we'll see. Great. Well, I'm ready too. Let's get right into it. We begin with the opening statements. Each contestant is going to have one minute for opening statements to present their choice. I get to pick the first person, and I'm really excited to see what Schneider's bringing to the table here with Ron. So, Eric, how about you kick it off? Mike, I would love to kick off this uh, this episode of Head, Heart, Gut about Ron Weasley. Not about Ron Weasley, but about my choice, Ron Weasley, with the simple fact that Ron Weasley is the heart of the Harry Potter squad. He might not have the brains, he might not have the chosen one thing, but he is clearly the one that is the the friend, the one that the glue that holds them all together. And more importantly, Rod Weasley is the best at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> the pandering. That's it. That's all I've got. You've got my 20 seconds statement. if you want. I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to show that Ron Weasley is both the heart of this group and also the best basketball player in the group. Okay. Those are just, okay. Well, I have taken note of that. Uh, let's now move on to Amanda. You have one minute on the clock for some opening statements about Hermione. Uh, thank you, Mike. I would like to begin by acknowledging that, yes, Hermione is the obvious choice for best squad member, but sometimes the obvious choice is also the best choice, and it's right. And that is where we are today. I'm going to try to lay out for you all the reasons that you think Hermione is great, her her brains, her courage, her you know place in the squad. But I also want to acknowledge here at the opening that Hermione is also a good friend, and she is not just somebody who pulls her own weight, but she tries to unlock the best in others as well. For example, she was the person who convinced Harry to teach defensive magic to a small band of students in defiance of the ministry's dictum that they can only teach basic principles from the textbook in defensive uh, dark arts against the dark arts. She was the one who basically, you know, made Dumbledore's army and who convinced Harry that he is not just somebody who fate you know, said was important, but someone who has other gifts to offer and uh, leadership abilities that he can give to other students. So many of the things that we see in the series that are so exciting and so useful, not just because of Hermione, but also assisted by Hermione. And that's exactly one minute. Wow. Very punctual, just like Hermione herself. Okay, Julia, hit me with that HP stuff. One minute on the clock and go. Judge Schubert, I'm curious to hear if you've heard the theory that uh, no Gryffindor is actually a Gryffindor, but they choose to be a Gryffindor. So, for instance, Harry represents Slytherin, but chooses to be a Gryffindor. Ron represents Hufflepuff and chooses to be a Gryffindor. Hermione represents Ravenclaw and chooses to be a Gryffindor. Are you familiar with this? I am, yes. Okay, so I believe, Judge, that each of our choices here today actually represent both the head, the heart, and the gut. And I think it's really going to be interesting to see if we can expand upon those things. And I really do believe that while Harry might not be the forefront for head or forefront for heart, I think that he does exemplify all of those things in ways that his opponents or friends, depends on how you see it, uh, do in this uh, in this challenge. Okay, you have 10 seconds if you want to say one last thing. Harry's cool and, you know, almost got picked for all of the houses, not just 
one house. And that's time. Wow, look, we've done it. Okay. All right. These are all solid opening statements. This is just for my peace of mind. No points awarded just yet. I'm just taking it all in, taking little notes on what you've all said. So mm. we're now going to move on to the first actually scored segment of this judging thing. And I must say, it is fun to be called Judge Schubert because my uncle actually was a judge. So he really mm-hmm. was Judge Schubert. So I feel like I'm really living through that. There's this great YouTube video where two people got into a fight during one of his uh, court cases. And Ooh. you can see him in the background <laughs> oh get covered by security to make sure he doesn't get in the fray. Fun stuff. So shout out to Uncle Buck. <laughs> <laughs> so we're moving on to Head. So, head is Logos. We're going to be discussing why your squad member is the best logical person to choose from. I'm going to just pick somebody to start. Let's let's go in reverse order of what we just did. So, let's start with Julia. You will have two minutes on the clock for this round, and afterwards, I will be awarding points in a 3-2-1 scale based on who did the best. So, Julia, two minutes on the clock for a head or Logos argument for Harry Potter, and your time starts now. Now, Mike, I believe that it is easiest to pick a best person when you know the most about them. So I will state just to start with that Harry Potter is mentioned 18,956 times in the books compared to Ron, who is mentioned 6,464 times and Hermione, who is only mentioned 5,486 times. Now, we can also say that if we want to talk statistics here, Harry Potter has destroyed the most Horcruxes. So while each of the trio has destroyed one Horcrux, Harry the Diary, Ron the Locket, Hermione the Cup, Harry also destroyed Quirrell, who is a semi-Horcrux during the Sorcerer's stone and sacrificed himself in order to weaken Voldemort because he had the last piece of Voldemort's soul in his own body. I will also say, Mike, I know you don't like Quidditch, but (laughs) Quidditch statistics have to speak for themselves. So in the series, Harry only plays 10 Quidditch games uh, and wins eight of those. And the reasons he doesn't win the other two is one, because he is knocked out by the effect of the Dementors. And the other is because he's knocked out again, but this time by Cormac McLaggen, who's an asshole and was trying to be cool and was teaching the beaters how to, you know, hit pleasures and hit one right into Harry. Dumbass, hate him. I will also say, just because I have some mythology background, Harry's wand is extremely powerful. So it's a holly wand, 11 inches, phoenix feather. Holly is typically considered a protective wood, and typically holly wands choose wizards destined for dangerous and spiritual quests. Phoenix feather also is one of the most rare core types and is capable of a great range of magic, not just anything in particular. Patronus-wise, Harry's is a stag, which usually represents someone who is highly sensitive and has strong intuition, and a person who can deal with challenges with grace and determination. So in conclusion, Harry Potter mentioned a lot, good at Quidditch, good at destroying Horcruxes, and like genuinely all of the choices he has made represent a strong-willed person. Time. Okay. I was pretty solid. I gotta say, pretty logical argument for why the main character is the best. You've done it. Mm, thank you. <laughs> so keeping in that reverse order from last time, we'll now move on to Amanda to discuss why Hermione logically is the superior member of the trio, the squad. You have two minutes on the clock and begin. This is a section you are expecting, Mike. I'm going to show you why Hermione is vital to the plot of every single book and also the defeat of Voldemort, because without her, he would be ruling the wizarding world. So book one, she realized what Fluffy was guarding was the Philosopher's Stone and solved the puzzle in the dungeon, the logic puzzle that let them proceed to go find it, including defeating the Devil Snare, which definitely could have killed those children. Book two, though she got petrified by the Basilisk, she still made defeating the Big Bad happen by tearing out a book page on Basilisks and writing pipes on it, which allowed Harry and Ron to understand 
understand the manner in which the basilisk moved around the castle. In book three, she uses, uh, that's right, time travel to rescue Sirius and Buckbeak. Book four, she was instrumental in helping Harry with several of the Triwizard Cup challenges. Book five protected the DA from being broken up by making those little coins that, that alerted them to when they wanted to meet. She lured Umbridge to the Forbidden Forest and got her abducted by centaurs. That was good because she was terrible. And she also stopped Theodore Knott from killing Harry in the Department of Mysteries and then silenced Dalahov, who was going to alert the ministry to the fact that they were all there. Otherwise, that wouldn't have happened. Book six, she was rightly suspicious of the half-blood prince. And I will say book six, kind of a low point. She was kind of sidelined into a romantic subplot and it was very boring, <laughs> but she still managed to come through and with her intuition and her knowledge, know that Harry should not be knowing these spells, her knowledge of Harry and saying, hey, maybe there's some dangerous stuff in there. So there was. Book seven, she read Beetle the Bard because Dumbledore left it to her. She made the bigger on the inside bag to carry their supplies and let them live in the wild for several months. She saved Harry's life when Nagini attacked them in Godric's Hollow, just straight up saved his life, and also saved him again by disfiguring his face when he was captured so he wasn't identified right away. And finally, of course, destroying the cup Horcrux, getting a hand on that ball to directly, literally help kill Voldemort. These are all the ways in which Hermione was great and dope and uh, not even all the small ways in making them not kicked out of school and finishing <laughs> their homework, you know, and like being normal people in the world. Uh, all the, the irrefutable ways in which Voldemort would be around without her. And that's time. Wow. All right. Pretty thorough. I love it. I love it. I'm just going to take that note and call it evidence because it thank was you. lots of proof there. I really just want to thank Eric and uh, Schneider and Julia for telling me that I had a lack of evidence in my uh, preliminary round. Ooh, so I really want to good. bring it. Learning. Uh, guys, thank you for, for giving me that wonderful critique. I love it. Thanks to my haters. Love that. Okay. So final head argument. We're going to you, Schneider, to discuss Ron logically. Two minutes on the clock and begin. Ron Weasley is not the logical choice for <laughs> best Harry Potter squad okay, member. Do, do you want your Shut time? This or... is an indisputable fact. <laughs> Harry Potter is the chosen one. Hermione is clearly the smartest. There is no logical reason that you would pick Ron. So what I will be spending the remainder of my time on is describing the ways that Ron Weasley is the best at basketball. <laughs> Ron Weasley has a athletic history that has been proven he led his quidditch team i know quidditch is bad and it's no basketball but he has led his quidditch team to multiple first cup victories in the hogwarts cup and one second place victory very good team very good team leader right there he's got not no, he's not the tallest guy but he is the tallest squad member at six feet tall meaning he would definitely be the best at basketball of the three of them since height is a very important part of basketball. Also, Ron Weasley's willing to take a personal foul for the team, as seen in the first book, when he gets attacked by the wizard chest to let Harry and Hermione make it to Quarrel's chambers. Ron is always there to, like, just... He's the one that's, like, willing to, like, go the extra effort. And I think that that makes a great both Harry Potter squad member and also a great basketball player. Ron Weasley is willing to put in the work on the court... And he's willing to put in the work to kill a Horcrux. And Ron Weasley is just a good guy and is going to be there as moral support. He's going to be cheering on his teammates from the bench when he when he's there. And he's going to be leading the team to some sick dunks when he's on the court. Hey, Eric Schneider, how much does Ron Weasley weigh again? Ron Weasley weirdly weighs 152 pounds. Ron Weasley is very light and an average height. That's not height. terrifyingly light for six feet. But it's a little slim. Like, I'm six feet 165, so. 
But that, yeah, he's that's he's just a lanky boy. You can be a lanky boy Seems and good at hoops. Good. Okay, so now at this point, I need to judge and give on a 3-2-1 scale. So let's start with the one. Uh, right off the bat, since you admitted defeat, Eric Schneider, you'll be getting a one for this round. But I, I accept it. bonus points are at my disposal, and I like you just throwing caution to the wind in your own podcast format and just saying screw it and going off on a tangent and a very pandering one at that. So I will be giving you a bonus point so that you are earning two <laughs> points for this round. Yes. <laughs> It worked. <laughs> so this next one is very hard because I appreciated both the Hermione evidence and the Harry Potter evidence. So uh, because I'm the judge and I can do what I want, I am going to give two points to Hermione, but a bonus point because I appreciate <laughs> the going above and beyond of finding the new evidence and not just taking things from before and, and taking that next step. So I appreciate that. Uh, and then the the number three marks is going to Julie for the Harry. I really just appreciated logically that you drew from a lot of different parts. So you had factual stuff in the books, some stuff outside the books that they don't really talk about as much, things that are on Pottermore, his wand, Patronus, stuff like that. So I appreciated just the uh, the breadth of the argument there. So to recap right now, we've got Schneider with two and Amanda and Julia with three each. Good, good work, squad. <laughs> with the first segment in the bag, we are now moving on to Heart. So heart is pathos. Pathos is an appeal to emotion, and it's a way of convincing an audience of an argument by creating an emotional response. So to kick it off with emotion, I want to start with someone that I think could be the most emotional. So let's start with Eric Schneider to discuss Ron and why pathologically he is the best choice. You have two minutes on the clock, and your time starts now. I'd like to thank... Julia for what she said in her opening statement because it's something that I was thinking about as well in mm. that I think each of our characters kind of represent a, a, a different head heart gut. I think it is quite obvious that Ron is the heart of this group. Ron is the glue that 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 holds the squad together in a lot of ways. He although sometimes has some some quarrels and some fights with other members he he always brings it back together and i think that's displayed in the final book where once he is far away from the influence of the horcrux he does come back i also think that with ron you have the starting point of the greater family that the squad is a part of hermione obviously has human parents and does not have any wizard friends Harry, obviously, his entire family has passed away and been murdered. <laughs> Ron is the entry point to the like larger family that Harry joins through the Weasleys and that Hermione spends a lot of time with, obviously, also by literally marrying Ron at the end of the books. But that entire group is, is, is the heart of this. The Weasleys are as much an influential and important part of Hermione and Harry's life as uh, as anybody else is in the books. And I think that Ron being the Weasley representative is an, is a significant part of that. And I think that it it gives a large family meaning to to these books. I think that that's where they they get their found family. And I think Ron is the representative of that. And I think that he often uh, grounds uh, Harry and Hermione. I think that he he helps them when he needs to. He is the one wizard that was raised a wizard, and, and he he helps them when he needs to in the ways that he can. And he, 
<laughs> you can finish your sentence if you want. I'll allow it. Eddie, Eddie, he, he just he he create he creates the lar- the the family. He is the the pro- progenitor of the larger squad outside of cool. the tree. Awesome, thank you. I love that you use the word progenitor. Assuming I know what that means, jokes on you, dweeb. <laughs> so with that and notes taken on it, we're going to move on to let's go with Julia for Harry and why heart wise. He is the best. So we've got two minutes on the clock, Julia, and your time starts now. Everything about the Harry Potter series points to the fact that Harry Potter should not be a good person. (laughs) Harry Potter is raised in a really abusive, shitty household. He has every opportunity to be put into a position where he, in, in receiving magic, can get revenge on his abusers. Uh, And we see that similarly when you compare it to uh, Tom Riddle being raised in the orphanage and using that power that he receives in order to, you know, take it out on other people. But Harry does not become that. And Harry does not become that because he is open to the idea of friendship and opening his heart to the people in his life. And I think that one of the best examples of Harry opening himself up to people not only just in like creating the friendship with Ron and Hermione, but in the fact that he becomes the teacher for uh, the DA in Order of the Phoenix. And I think that not only is Harry an extremely charismatic person, much like Tom Riddle was, but Harry Potter uses that for good rather than evil. He doesn't manipulate the people around him. He teaches them. He teaches them like skills that they weren't able to learn under like actual educators. Uh, and you can make the argument that you know none of the Defense Against the Dark arts teacher besides Remus were particularly good but at the same time like they're learning stuff that is way beyond their education level they're learning things that are like come from the heart like literally the Patronus spell comes from like good memories and like happy thoughts and I think that Harry is kind of embodied in that idea that he can teach other people how to look into their hearts and create something physical from that. Okay, that's just about two minutes. Sweet, thank you so much All for right. that Sweet. argument. So, now. I think it, I think it's really hard to create a child army without any manipulation. <laughs> that's just me. Okay, okay, hold on. <laughs> also, I also will say that this is another instance where my uh, com- opponents here were like, hey, uh, you didn't mention Harry's shitty childhood at all. <laughs> like. Don't worry, I got you. Yeah, it's it's a rough one for HP. All right, so finally, mm-hmm. heart argument. We turn to Amanda to discuss Hermione. There are two minutes on the clock, and your time starts now. So this is really an argument from from my heart uh, because all of us, I think, identify with different members of the squad. That's one of the reasons why the books are so compelling because a lot of us, as Julia pointed out, you know, you can see different aspects of a personality in each of these people. Um, but for me, like. Hermione is it. And as a kid, my mom got me a Hermione doll when I was five uh, because, and it's on the board now at the multitude office. And I see it every morning when I turn the lights on because Hermione for me is like, it's the aspirational version of you. And for Hermione to be an inspiration to like nerdy girls everywhere, she proves that you can be brainy and badass. Like you can care about grades, but also be like so much and so overachieving and so overbearing and still be a good friend and have good friends. Um, you can date, like you can be valuable, not just for what you know, but 
for who you are, and particularly for Hermione to be friends with um, someone popular like Harry, which to Julia's point, like the book proves that he is like so popular from a baby. He's lauded when he gets to the school, everyone wants to suck up to him. And for him to be friends like that doesn't happen to girls like Hermione, to girls like me, for like the most popular person in school to find you valuable and a worthwhile friend, especially when she gives them so much that's tangible and for them to still care about her as a person and not just as a person who can help them um, is is like wonderful and frankly like teaches me that I can have people in my life who value me for me and not just for what I bring to them. And caring so much about grades particularly for anyone with like anxiety, self-esteem issues, mental illness, trauma, insecurities, like it's so relatable. Of course you want to succeed in this one objective thing when life provides you with so few opportunities to like truly objectively succeed and belong. For her, even for that to be her foible, to be kind of, you know, to the rules and kind of bossy and want to succeed in this one thing that seems kind of boring. For her, it's like so much the center of a flawed but trying character. And to see that represented in books, which I hadn't seen before, um, when there are so many like funny troublemakers in kids literature um, was just so impactful. And I, I think makes her really important. That was really good. That was a really good argument. All right. And that's time. Wow. OK, I am honestly a little choked up. <laughs> It was really good. So I'm just going to cut right to the chase. Three points, Amanda, for Hermione. That was really solid. I think that's something that is really important about Hermione is that she is the smart person and the most competent one, but she's so much more than that. And I think it's really highlighted when anytime she tries to do something that isn't just being smart, Harry and Ron are like, what? She's talking (laughs) to Victor Crumb? You're just the smart one. So I appreciate that you brought that up because I think that is what's really nice for Hermione is that even though she's not the hero of the book, she's kind of like the reader's hero of the book because I think a lot of people reading it see themselves in her. So I think that's a really solid argument. So three points to Hermione. I'm actually going to give two points to Ron. I thought that the oh, no. uh, the argument of bringing in the Weasley family as a heart element is really solid and smart because I think it is crucial for the group to have that. And I know we are kind of giving points to Ron because of his family, but it's still really important. Like Molly is basically Harry's surrogate mother. And the whole family is something that brings Hermione into the wizarding world because she doesn't have that. And she has to send her parents to Australia. So I think that that is really important. And for the the Harry thing, one point, not that your argument was bad, Julia. It's just that I, I didn't feel it was super heart esque with the uh, talking about Dumbledore's army, partially because Harry was really reluctant to do it anyway. I feel like Hermione kind of kept pushing him into doing it. There were multiple times he was like, nobody's going to want to do this anyway. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's almost like he's the reluctant hero in the hero's journey. uh, uh, (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Oh, get out of here with your logic. This is the hard part. It's almost like all writing and all styles of uh, storytelling repeat the same trope over and over again. Look, you're doing great. I just appreciated the other arguments slightly more, but you're not out of the race by any means. Right now, we have Amanda in the lead with Julian Eric tied for second place as we move on to gut. So gut is ethos, an appeal to ethics, and it's a means of convincing someone of the character or the credibility of the persuader. So again, two minutes are going to be on the clock. Amanda has not started around, so we're going to start with Amanda here for gut for Hermione. Two minutes begin. Hermione, of course, is a scholastic high achiever. Like the 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 metrics of competence and intelligence in wizarding education. 10 thumbs up for Hermione because she got 10 OWLs in her <laughs> in her fifth year. Um, she was also the only member of the trio to pass her apparition test 
fun. And one like untold points for Gryffindor with her knowledge and participation in class, which helped them stay in the House Cup running despite Harry and Ron's many, many lost points. Um, but that's not all. People we respect believe in her and respect her. So uh, McGonagall, for example, gives her a time turner when she was 13, which is a wildly powerful <laughs> piece of magical technology. There are, what, like six in the Wizarding World? And that's only because McGonagall trusts and believes in Hermione. Hermione's cat also, like, who chose her, identified Pettigrew and had great instincts. So Crookshank's amazing instincts chose Hermione, believes in her, loves her. There's something about that animal bond that, that also just kind of speaks to a person's character. Also, villains hate her. The Malfoys, <laughs> Bellatrix, Voldemort, they hate her. Umbridge hates her. And being hated by people you hate counts too. That's not all, though. IRL, Hermione is also loved and endorsed by institutions. So she is hailed as a feminist icon from lots of scholars. She is the subject of a book called The Ivory Tower and Harry Potter, which is like a book-length analysis of the Harry Potter text. First chapter is Hermione Granger and the Heritage of Gender. She was named by, like, UGO Networks as one of the best heroes of all time. The Hollywood Reporter did a poll of Hollywood professionals, and Hermione was the top of that poll. She was most Hollywood professionals' favorite character. The uh, Kansas State University scholar noted that Hermione is like a great example of social welfare and of feminist ideals. So people between, you know, celebrities, between scholars and writers we admire, and actual institutions, as well as Emma Watson, the actor who plays her, doing a lot of human rights campaigning. Hermione stands up for causes, and people believe in her. Wow. All right. And that's time. A very well-rounded argument. Very solid. Okay. We will now move on to Eric Schneider to discuss Ron. Gut. Why he is the best. Two minutes are on the clock and your time starts now. As I said in in my, in my heart argument, Ron Weasley is the only uh, one of the squad members that comes from a wizarding family. I think that you see this uh, most clearly in in a few scenes towards the the later films. It's it's shown best where Ron is the most natural spellcaster. Whereas Harry and Hermione always point their wands and then cast a spell. Ron can kind of spell sling and just throw his wand, and a spell can start before the the wand has fully reached its uh, designated target. Ron is the most natural wizard, and in a book about wizards. I think that counts for something. I think Ron has the ability to help Hermione and Harry learn wizarding stuff. Obviously, Hermione is the most book smart and Harry kind of has the most just in general to learn. But Ron often is the one there to explain wizarding things to them and guide them through a path. Although sometimes not the best and sometimes he flubs it up quite greatly through different through different times ron often is the one that it, that knows the situation from uh the wizarding perspective which i think is a pretty important perspective to have in the wizarding world he is the one that knows um what's happening and i think that 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 really that means something i think that ron knowing this world says a lot about his credentials and is makes him a very valuable member of the squad him knowing these things is helpful hermione knowing how to educate herself and ron and harry about those things is also extremely important and harry being possibly the most powerful wizard of the three of them and having this destiny thrust upon them that makes the two of them need those things is also important but i think ron 
being a guide to the other two is, is, okay. is key. Great. Thank you so much for your argument, Eric Schneider. Finally, we turn to Julia Schifini with two minutes on the clock to talk about gut-wise why Harry Potter's best. Two minutes and your time starts now. I'm going to start with a quote from J.K. Rowling and a short version of that. Uh, and it's that Harry Potter is ultimately human struggling to do the right thing, which I think is pretty admirable. And I think when it comes down to it, I, I think Harry speaks to me from a gut perspective because I think he's an extremely relatable character. Despite all of the wild things that are happening to him throughout the book series, he is going through all of this chosen one stuff. But at the end of the day, he's just a teenage boy. And I, I think that when it comes down to it, like, I, I don't have to tell you about the sassiness of Harry <laughs> Potter, Mike Schubert. And I know that that's a very, very important thing to you. But at the end of the day, like, I have felt that, like, internal rage that Harry feels during most of Prisoner of Azkaban. I've had that weird feeling of envy that I couldn't quite place as he discovers his own feelings about Ginny. I think that Harry Potter, at the end of the day, from a book perspective, is most relatable because we see the most out of him and we see the internal workings of him and we understand, oh, okay, he's making bad decisions, but didn't we all make bad decisions when we were his age? It's so much easier for us to look at that, look at his decisions from the perspective of 2020 hindsight and not be able to be like, oh, well, obviously I would have not hurt this person's feelings the way that Harry did, or I would have, you know, chosen to do this. But Harry Potter is just a person who makes mistakes. He's not the chosen one in the sense that he is perfect and knows everything. Harry Potter is the chosen one in that he was thrust into a circumstance of fate. And I think that in a lot of ways that makes Harry much more relatable to us than he, you know, seems from a surface perspective. All right. And that is time. Wonderful. Okay. So going into my judges' chambers. All right. We're going to start one point to Ron. Sorry, Eric. I just didn't didn't really feel it. Mainly the part was that you said he helps explain things, but every time he explains wizarding stuff to Hermione and sometimes Harry, he always mansplains it in a way that's not fun. Like, oh, Hermione, you don't know about Tales of Beetle the Bard? What, were you raised by muggles? Yes. So... Uh, I'm <laughs> so we're gonna give one point there. Uh, I will give two points to Hermione for for gut. I thought it was a very solid argument. Uh, but I'm giving three to to Harry just because I thought that was a really solid argument. I think Julie brought up a really good point about him being relatable in a different way. I think Hermione is relatable in the people reading these books see herselves in them. But then also Harry, and he does have the advantage that he's the narrator. You can hear his thoughts or the narrator's interpretation of them. You can understand some stuff. And I think ultimately by the end of the series, you get the realization that Harry's been through a lot and he's going through a lot and it's okay to make mistakes and have shortcomings. And he's at such a young age being asked to do a lot. So I think that's a really good argument to make there. So that brings us to the end of the main portion. But now we're getting into my favorite part, which is cross-examination. There are no direct points awarded, but I will be dishing out some bonus points here. And you all know me very well. The spicier this section is, the better. The most spice that you can bring to this cross-examination will earn you some bonus points. As we stand right now, Amanda is in the lead with Julia in second and Eric in the bronze medal position. So for 
what, what's my spread? Bronze, How many like points behind that? <laughs> We've got Amanda has eight, Julia has seven, Eric has five points. So each contestant will have the opportunity to ask one of their competitors a question about their choice in this cross-examination round. So I'm going to pick someone to start. They will decide who they're asking, and then you'll have a minute to ask the question, and then that person is able to respond. So I am going to start with Eric, since he is in third place. You're not losing. You're just in third out of three. Eric, you get to pick someone to ask a question and ask it for a minute. I will ask Amanda a okay, question. Okay, one minute is on the clock. And we talked we talked about this a bit on the on the main the main episodes, but I think I will I'll re re I'll have you re-examine the issue that I had uh, in front of our judge. Hermione brainwashes her parents <laughs> without telling them. She doesn't say, "Hey, there's a lot of like they know wizarding stuff they know that she is a witch they know about this world she does not go home and go hey there's some really bad stuff happening i have magically sent you to australia she sneaks into the house while they're watching tv casts a spell on them erasing all memory of their lovely daughter and their entire lives and makes them like i don't buy a plane ticket to australia i don't know exactly how they get there (laughs) this seems like an extreme extreme way to go about this because hermione still technically knows where her parents are the death eaters can like if they get a hold of hermione they can still figure out where her parents are if they really want to harm her that way it just seems like such an overreaction and such an illogical move for Hermione to make. Why do you think Hermione does this? That was exactly what I meant. Perfect. Amanda, your response. I think Hermione does that not because she cannot, like she could be compromised and know where her parents are, but because she knows that her parents love her enough that she doesn't trust them not to get in touch with her. Like she doesn't trust them necessarily if she goes missing for months at a time, not to want to come and find out or to take the threat not as seriously as she knows it should be taken. I would argue that she kind of learned from the circumstances around her. She saw the way that Harry's family just completely like neglected or underestimated the amount of threats that are happening in the wizarding world. She saw in book five how the muggle prime minister has absolutely nothing (laughs) taking seriously and the wizarding government even not taking this threat seriously such that they were compromised. So I believe that she thought that that was the most logical solution because she had the most to lose and her parents had the most to gain where like maybe she would lose her parents if they got killed in the crossfire in a wizarding war. But at least this way, she loses her parents, but her parents keep their life. And listen, it might not be the choice I or any of all of us would make in this situation. But I would say that Hermione was being thorough. She was being careful. She was being like taking the problem to the very end and doing the solution that had to be made. And those are all qualities that while they are extreme in the situation, it was also an extreme situation in wartime. And I think they represent at the end of the day, qualities that make Hermione outstanding. Okay. I am going to purposely be mum about the bonus points that have been awarded in this section. So there's more suspense at the end, yep. but more than one point was awarded. Ooh. Oh but I will say that was oh a good boy. question. That was a good response. That is something that I've always found buck wild. Why didn't she just tell them before she did it? Even the men in black sometimes let them know that they're going to flash <laughs> the memories before they do it. I don't get why it had to be secret. So Amanda, since you were just asked that question, I will now give you the floor yes. for the opportunity to ask someone a question. You have one minute to do so. Who will you be asking? 
Uh, I will be asking Julia a question. Okay. Um, Shocker. Which is, uh, Julia, I would love for you to tell me specifically how Harry would have survived each of the books without Hermione in his life. <laughs> um, I'm going to share with you the list that I made earlier of all of the ways that uh, Harry kept Hermione, or that Hermione kept Harry alive, excuse me. Um, so that is my list. I put it to you in Slack. Uh, cool. I'm not entirely sure that I will have a full two, like the amount of time. You're to... welcome to to go in like reverse order or like in order of, of seriousness. Um, specifically, I'd love to know how he would have survived book seven and also book one uh, without Hermione. So you can choose the ones that you feel you're going to make the strongest argument for because Hermione is all for equal opportunity and I don't want to put you at a disadvantage. So for Fluffy, Hagrid revealed that to them. Cool. Don't really have an answer for the the logic puzzle. I think Harry probably could have figured it out eventually. He's not entirely stupid. Uh, Devil Snare, Hermione would not have been able to figure that out if it wasn't for Ron reminding her that she was a witch. And, you know, because she utterly panicked in that situation. And that is one of Hermione's, that's one of Hermione's uh, lowest points is actually she panics in situations. Uh, For instance, when she was taking her third year test, she panics because the, uh, uh, not Dementor, the Bogart tells her, hey, by the way, uh, you, I'm McGonagall and you failed your test. And she ends up failing her uh, practical. Yeah. True nightmare. Uh, petrified, she, uh, things, uh, yep, yeah, Bookham Basilisk. Harry doesn't know anything about giant snakes. I feel like if he had talked to Hagrid about it, Hagrid probably knows what a basilisk is and probably could have told him, oh yeah, giant snake, uh, makes sense. Uh, also, Slytherin's, <laughs> Slytherin's, uh, mascot is a giant snake. I think they probably could have put two and two together. I don't know. Um, also, Harry is the one that destroys the diary at the end, and Fox is the one that saves his life, but okay. Uh, time travel. The only reason Hermione had time travel was McGonagall thought that was a good idea. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, the situation probably would have been different if, you know, Hermione wasn't there in the Shrieking Shack and probably, uh, I don't know, like she also almost dies herself during the uh, instance at with the Dementors at the lake. So actually Harry saves her rather than Hermione saving uh, Sirius and uh, Buckbeak. Uh yeah, Harry could have probably taught himself most of the Triwizard Challenge stuff. I don't know. The, Hermione didn't really have a huge uh, step in that. Uh, DA from being broken up via coin. That's true. She does have the coins that, you know, had all the when we're meeting and where kind of thing. It's more of a thing of subterfuge than anything. Uh, luring Umbridge to the Forbidden Forest and having her abducted by centaurs. Didn't Hermione, like, lure her out there but didn't really have a plan? She just wanted to get them away from the castle? Uh, the first time she wanted to uh, have her see Grop and then Grop like had disappeared and then the centaurs find them. So uh, Umbridge kind of got herself into that mess. Stopping not from killing Harry. Sure. Any of the other like six people that were there could have also probably done that. Uh, suspicious of the Half-Blood Prince. So is Ginny. Um, and then Beetle and the Bard. Ron knew most of the stories from Beetle and the Bard already because he grew up in the wizarding world. Uh, bigger on the inside bag to carry their supplies technology that pretty much anyone could have uh, done. We see that with the uh, tent of the uh, Goblet of Fire. Saves him from dis- uh, disfiguring the face. Yeah, that was that was one instance of Hermione acting quick on her feet. <laughs> Good job, <laughs> Hermione. Uh, and then destroying the uh, Cup Horcrux. That was their plan all along, and they could have gone about doing it either way. Okay, great. I've taken note. Cool. Thank Bo- you. Bonus points have been awarded. You're and welcome. finally now, Julia, you get to ask someone a question and you have a minute to ask that question. 
Ooh, I'm trying to think how spicy I want to go. Hey, Amanda, uh, remember, remember, avoid how, the spice. <laughs> remember how uh, Hermione kept a woman in a jar for months on end and then blackmailed yeah. her? That was the other war crime I was going to There's There's some bad ones. Hermione's a very vindictive person. She uh, she goes about cursing the, uh, the parchment that the DA signed their things on to, um, like, permanently scar the character who I can't remember whose mom worked for the ministry and sold them out. Um, she kept Rita Skeeter in a jar. Like, it, it's wild to me that you can talk about the ethics of Hermione and not mention the fact that she kidnapped a woman yeah. because she was writing mean articles about Harry Potter and spying on them. Yeah, yeah, she, she did. Uh, and thank you for bringing that up, mm-hmm. Julie, because I think that's a, a really great opportunity um, for me to discuss the fact that Hermione is so loyal that she is willing to go above and beyond <laughs> the rules to kidnap a above woman. Above and beyond the rules, which is Hermione's favorite thing apart from her friends, uh, to to keep their interests in mind. Uh, Rita Skeeter uh, was also trespassing on school property, reporting illegally about minors uh, spying on them, and going against the government by being an unregistered animagus. So I think... Oh, you know things they could report to the police? <laughs> she's a real... She's, a, she, she's the real Sarah Huckabee Sanders of the Wizarding World. <laughs> well, I think particularly in Goblet of Fire, um, given the, you know, the the end of that book, it's clear that the tide is changing and that public opinion is not on her side. Hermione's learning that she can't necessarily go to authority and have her concerns taken seriously and righteousness, like, brought forth. So, again, I think sometimes Hermione does, you know, be too exuberant. Sometimes she does go a little bit too far, but it's in service of her ideals, which are, you know, protecting her friends, going after what is right, like, pursuing the morally right thing. And in this case, you know, capturing Rita was an important part of the campaign against Voldemort because it stopped this like you know fake news press from you know publishing wrong stories that further denigrated Harry's image and therefore the cause of actually defeating Voldemort uh, by number one recognizing that he was back. But she still did though. She still wrote the whole book on how Dumbledore is an asshole and like it didn't stop the Daily Prophet from like creating propaganda. No it didn't stop it. I didn't stop it, but I, I think that was what was on her mind when she thought this is a serious enough threat that I, I have to deal with it right now. And it was definitely worth keeping a woman in a jar for six months. Judge Schubert, could I ask a quick follow-up? Yes, you can ask a quick follow-up, Eric Schneider. I allow it. I will ask my quick follow-up, Amanda. Um, if Rita continued to write her her articles, would the out like would it have actually changed the outcome of like them having to like leave Hogwarts and go to the woods like no like it's not like they get to get, so like what what good did it actually solve other than like a handful of articles not being written um I don't think it ended up having a huge impact what I was talking about and I'm sorry if I expressed myself um, improperly was more Hermione's motivation and why she thought it was a serious enough threat to do that kind of serious consequence imprison okay. a woman in a I jar briefly, for six months briefly. as a <laughs> briefly imprisoned um, <laughs> also it's war you know, I, <laughs> amanda you've read the uh animorph series right <laughs> yeah, a long time you know ago. how that they make that they make that one kid stay as a rat and then he goes you insane. know isn't that the same as just having a pocket monster though they're they're in their animal <laughs> form and they're they're just hanging out what? in your pocket 
yeah, be, but the person chooses to do that. Listen, I'm not saying Hermione is the best because she always acts with proper uh, force and magnitude and and righteousness. I'm saying she's the best because she has the the drive, the ambition, and the skills to like go after the thing that she thinks is right, which more often than not is what the reader thinks is right. That's just like villain logic. As extreme villain logic. No, Julia, per your point, I, I think it is a fine line. And I think that the point of Harry Potter is people put in extreme situations and just make the best choices they can. And sometimes it goes right, sometimes it goes wrong. Thank you for asking me that question, my esteemed <laughs> opponent. Uh-huh, sure. Okay. okay. That brings the cross-examination to a conclusion. I've tallied my points. I've gone to unconventional. Fractions of points were divvied out. Oh. Oh, shit. <laughs> I will say everybody did get one full point for the spiciness of their question. Every question was spicy, Excellent. which made me very happy. And then depending on strength of response, I doled out some partial points as well. I also gave Eric a point for making a Sarah Huckabee Sanders joke because she sucks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so at the end of this judge round of... Harry Potter, who's the best in the squad? We have our final tallies. And in third place with 7.75 points, we have Eric Schneider representing Ron Weasley. You had a strong cross-examination round, but you started a bit in the hole there. I will say, strong stuff. Ron is easily the hardest to pick. Here, I, I appreciate you, Eric, always going with uh, some of the harder selections, such as Yellow the Color and Ron the Human the yellow of the of the trio here but uh a valiant effort but just just a bit short there i'll take it i i I mean i like taking the hard things i think that as the person who does the research on the show it is my lot to bear to always or often take take one of the harder options i didn't do that with captain america obviously (laughs) but uh, but also i was the last to pick and i chose captain america after you and and brandon had picked so I, I'm happy with that. I think I defended Ron uh, to the best of my ability, and I'm I'm glad with the score I got. I, I, I got a three, which honestly, I was expecting ones and twos <laughs> all the way through. So I'm very, very happy with the outcome. Yeah, I think if we were but... playing golf, and in golf you get a, a handicap based on your normal score kind of thing, I feel like you should be given some sort of net addition for <laughs> taking on Ron. I think if we were doing a, a net scoring system versus a gross scoring system, you might have come out on top. But yes, good effort. Second place. With 8.5 points, we have Julia Shafini representing Harry Potter. Again, strong, strong in the cross-examination, but Amanda had a bit of an edge going in. I thought you did great work, but Hermione's just really hard not not to pick here. Amanda ended up winning this Triwizard Tournament of sorts, the head, the heart, and the gut, with 10 points for Hermione Granger. Just a solid, well-rounded argument. And I think, much like Ron is a hard one to argue, I think Hermione is a clear choice. I, I give credit to you other two for picking the inferior options going in. I didn't want to be biased, but Amanda still laid down a very solid argument. And I think that she has proven logically ethos, heart, gut, head, cross-examination, spice, everything was in there as a fully encompassing argument to say why Hermione is the best of the three and why the books should have been about her anyway. <laughs> you know, I think much like the squad itself, I am nothing without my fellow spirits squad. And hmm. this argument is nothing without the context of my fellow competitors' arguments. So I think this is this is a team victory here. So magnanimous. I want to say this was a very, a, I'm very proud of everyone. I think everyone brought really good stuff to the table here and it was not a landslide by any means. Everything was really solid. And 
Ben as the the Harry Potter buff of multitude. You've definitely read the books most recently. Yeah. I think that is that is without doubt, Mike. You, I've not read them the most times, but the most recently <laughs> and the most annoyingly. And also the slowest, like and with the most like concentration attention mm-hmm. to detail. And I mean slowest in like a good way. Close like you reading. read in yes. depthly. Like you really spent some time in those books. Thank you. I did. I mean, every time I read them, every, people would first ask, why did it take you so long? Well, I'm also making a podcast and I don't read ahead. <laughs> but then also uh, reading them with what I've done for the show, it's not leisurely. <laughs> I take so many notes. It's I haven't read a book for pleasure in like four years. <laughs> so I'm really excited now to, to start doing that again. But yeah, thanks for having me, everyone. This was very fun. I also want to say this felt like the kindest episode of Head Heart Guns so far. <laughs> yeah. It did feel like we were we were all quite pleasant with each other. Even yeah. our spicy questions were 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 spicy, but like not aggressive. Right. Yeah, only be yelling six months as a beetle. <laughs> <laughs> much much like Hermione, I, I can't really believe I have friends. So I I mostly I'm, I'm happy to give up this victory if anyone Aww. needs it in order to continue to be my friend. Um, but but thank you. Well, I'll take it. <laughs> thank you for giving no, one of these. Yes. We can put we can put Spirit's team as the victory on this one. I think. Uh, yes. It was very good. We're all winners here. And especially those members of the multi-crew whose support Mm -hmm. makes this show possible and who listen along with us and make us feel like, you know, we're doing these arguments not just for and at each other, Mm -hmm. but with others. Yes. Shout out to the multi-crew forever. You make our hearts smile and our lights stay on, which is very important. So again, in conclusion, we have our winner, Amanda McLaughlin, who represented Hermione Granger and successfully argued why she is the greatest of the squad. Another one is in the books, but Head Heart Gut continues. And next time we debate which utensil is the best. That's right, fork, knife, spoon, with the cast of Join the Party. I'm really excited we've done the Spirits one and now the Join the Party one. When's the Potterless cast one, where it's just is me arguing with myself three <laughs> yes. times? That would be really fun. Yeah. Or, mm, we, mm, mm, we could do like me, Kelly, and Dottie James or something. <laughs> but yes, with the cast of Join the Party, they will be arguing, and I'm I'm glad that Spork didn't get in there, or even Cuspork, because then it just would have been unfair. So that'll be very fun. Mm. But until we get to that episode, remember... Your friends are wrong, and you're correct. Once again, if you enjoyed Head Hard Gut, please go to multicrew.club to sign up and for just five bucks a month, get access to this awesome show every week. Thanks so much.